Hey everybody, thank you for tuning into the Broke Down Podcast. This is episode 30, my name is Jonathan, and I'm glad you're here with us today. Uh, we got a pretty great episode lined up with some great dudes from an excellent band called 111 Heavy. With some great dudes from an excellent band called 111 Heavy. Before we get into all that, I want to let you know that the Broke Down Podcast is part of the Osiris family. The Osiris Podcast Network connects you with podcasts, videos, and live experiences about the artists and topics you love. You can visit OsirisPod.com and sign up for the newsletter so you don't miss out on new interviews, events, and podcasts. Alright, that's business. We got more business. Can I? Can we talk about more business real quick? You guys are good, right? Just a couple minutes. So, um, I have completely failed to mention this on the show uh, several times in a row. So, I'd just like to mention that we still have uh, merch, t-shirts, and mugs, travel and otherwise, and stickers and all that over on our Redbubble site. If you go to the website, brokedownpodcast.blogspot.com, there's a link right there. There's a picture of a person in a t-shirt. Just click on that guy. It'll get you over there. And you can, uh, you know, put together a t-shirt and buy it and walk around looking super stylish. So check that out. I would really appreciate it. What else can I tell you? I don't know, man. Let's get into this. So, um, 111 Heavy is a kick-ass new band by some guys who've been around a while. James Toth is a guitar player, songwriter. You may have heard of him as Wooden Wand. I think Matt Valentine even dropped his name when he was on the show a little while back. Um, Nick Miato, I hope I pronounced that right, Nick. I'm so sorry if I didn't. On guitar, he's uh, from Desmadrados Soldados de Ventura. Uh, Dan Brown on bass, Royal Trucks. Ryan Jewell is a drummer. He's been most recently in Solar Motel Band. And Hans Chu is a piano player. He's doing his own thing, but he's also been played out with Steve Gunn and His Golden Messenger and some other great folks. So anyways, it's a kick-ass band. And we're going to play a little bit of their music here in just a few minutes. First, we're going to talk to James, and then we'll play a song, and then we'll talk to Nick. Uh, we were originally hoping to have those guys both on together, but timing, scheduling, life kind of interfered, so I actually interviewed them kind of back-to-back, like I did one, five minutes later I did the other, and uh, I think it worked out pretty well. So before we go to it, I will just let you know you can find 111 Heavy on Bandcamp at 111heavy.bandcamp.com. They uh, also, of course, have a website, 111heavy.com. They got a bunch of tour dates. They're going on the road in November here in the east coast of the U.S. of A., and they're going to start in Albany on November 5th and dig on down, uh, end up in Pennsylvania on the 16th with a little bit of jumping around. I'm going to try to catch them on the 15th in Virginia. All of the dates will be on my website, and I'll run them down after the interview before we do all the Grateful Dead musics. So in the meantime, my website is brokedownpodcast.blogspot.com. You can find me on the Twitters and Instagram at BrokedownPod, and of course, Facebook. Of course we're on Facebook, right? Everybody's on Facebook. Especially like, well, we won't go there. Anyways, if you go to Facebook and you look for Broke Down Podcast, you'll find me. Go ahead and click on like and you'll get some updates there too. That having been said, let's go ahead and get into this interview with James Toth of 111 Heavy. First of all, James, thank you for joining me and coming on to talk about the band 111 Heavy and Grateful Dead as well, and and maybe uh, we talk a little bit about your 
your own work as Nick has been detained. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for th- thanks for having me, Jonathan. It's a, it's a pleasure. Yeah, well, you know, I um, had been thinking about reaching out to you. You've been um, uh, vocal on the social media and whatnot uh, about your love and interest in Grateful Dead. And also, I've grown over the past uh, couple of years to be, you know, a fan of your work under your wooden wand name. And so it's good to catch up. Yeah. Talk to me for a minute about your background. Where where do you where are you from originally and what what how did that take you towards making music, writing songs? Uh I'm I'm one of those strange breeds. I'm a New York native. Um I was born in Brooklyn and raised on Staten Island. Cool. And I grew up uh very heavily under the influence of, of heavy metal and hardcore and hip hop was really big during like Wu Tang and stuff. So it was pretty typical in that way. And then uh, I had an uncle who kind of got me into Neil Young, and that was kind of that was the sort of flashpoint for a lot of things. And uh, I kind of started writing songs pretty late. I'd say I was pretty pretty much a late bloomer. I mean, I was definitely writing like Slayer derived riffs, but I didn't really know how to play like a proper cowboy chord till college, you know. Okay, so so you were a player before you were a writer. Is, is that Most definitely, yeah. Okay. My my only my only aspiration when I was growing up was to be in like Exodus or Testament or something like that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I had a I come from a pretty heavy metal family. My my cousin was in a pretty popular heavy metal band, and uh, my dad's into metal. So it wasn't really it wasn't really a way to rebel. It just kind of was just ubiquitous um, where I grew up. So it was just that's all I really wanted to do is play playing a band you know cool well um now you now you really very much are uh with this group yeah <laughs> and uh this is a little bit of a i don't want to say departure for you but it's certainly a, another angle um yeah i, I think there, there's definitely some um i think there's definitely some consistencies like when uh when wooden wand and the vanishing voice started uh which was the kind of you know, precursor to Wooden Wand proper, it was probably about 75% improvised music. And, um, you know, I remember being in the van, like playing the dead for those guys. And then kind of some of them, not all of them, some of them were dead neutral, but there were definitely some dead haters. And they'd be like, ah, why are we listening to this? And then I would always like have to stop myself from telling them like, I'm trying to turn us into this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like I was, it didn't quite take, but, um, but yeah, I think that it, it does kind of, for me, it's, it's sort of uh, back to the roots in a lot of ways, even though obviously 111 Heavy is more a traditional rock band in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, I, it's good to be back to that level of, of creativity where we're like composing spontaneously. I do feel like that's a, um, and you know, the Wooden One made a record called Briarwood a few years back, which was definitely my sort yeah. of saturday night stones type record so there's definitely some rock and, and and some improv in my past so it's sort of you know it makes a little more sense i mean there's definitely not a lot of folk on the record or anything like that yeah there's um there's a ballad that's you know a little bit more of a country rock kind of hanging ballad uh but yeah yeah geneva you know, geneva that's one and um in fact i want to shout out warren parker who pointed this out by name although i'd heard it you know he, he mentioned to me that he was really grooving on that song uh as oh, we cool. were 
both receiving our records and I posted a cop posted it online. He's like, yeah, man, I'm really loving Geneva. Yeah, oh, cool. I have a choice. funny story about that, actually, that ties into some rock lore. Sure. I should, I should preface this preface by saying I'm not really a, an especially superstitious person. I'm pretty, pretty earthbound, especially, you know, for a musician and in a band <laughs> like this. But um, my wife and I were staying at that morbid uh, death room in Joshua Tree where Graham Parsons died. Whoa. And uh, I was going through a kind of a dry spell writing and um, not not writer's block necessarily. I just kind of didn't feel like writing. You know, I just wasn't in that headspace. And we were in that room and like I remember us sitting out back and um, and a song just kind of appeared like a bolt out of the blue. Like it's only happened a few times and written like probably thousands of songs. And it's only happened this way a few times where a song just took as long to write as it took for me to write it down. And I started writing this down. I mean, I made a few little tweaks, but for the most part, the song came just fully. And my wife, who's also probably less superstitious than I am, was said, you know, maybe maybe it was the ghost of Graham like gifted you this song. And you know, and I started to think about this kind of almost like Stonesy arrangement for it, like more of an Angie thing. And mm-hmm. I was like, man, there is something that ties into this. There was something about the energy of that place that maybe gave me that song. I'm not saying that's definitely what happened, but I like that theory. (laughs) It's a a good piece of mythology. I could could hear, it's not there, but I could hear a pedal steel added to that arrangement if you you so desired. Totally, yeah, totally. Yeah, I think the name was different. I think the name that Graham gave me for the the female, the titular uh, Geneva was not Geneva, but I was reading of all things on that trip the uh, Andy Griffith biography <laughs> and Andy Griffith's mother's name was Geneva. And that's also the County where my wife is from. So there were all these sort of like, you know, synchronicity things happening with that. And I uh, just, I chose to believe it. <laughs> it's a good name. Too. <laughs> you know? oh. It is a beautiful name. Yeah. So you mentioned trying to transform your earlier group to grateful dead. Um, tell me, tell me where you found grateful dead then coming from this heavy metal upbringing. Well, I had to be tricked. Um, <laughs> I was about, I was, about, I grew up with like a lot of deadhead cousins too. And I, we would always kind of have this rivalry. They were older than me. And then when I was about 19, by then I had been exposed to sort of uh, some more like tough and sophisticated music, like the fall and the velvet underground and stuff, you know? And I thought I hated the dead um, because you, you know, you're supposed to, there were, there were the factions were more clearly drawn back then pre uh, optimism or whatever you want to call it. So, <laughs> Um, but the owner of the record store where I worked uh, when I was about 19, his name was Eric McCarthy, a uh, very formative uh, dude for me. But he would sneak dead boots onto the stereo at the store, and it was usually like the heavier jams and feedback. And I'd inevitably ask, like, what is this? You know, and at first he would lie to me. You know, he would have to lie. So he'd say, oh, it's some like New Zealand noise jam or something Drag City was reissuing. You know, he'd have to lie because, and that's, I'd always inevitably want to order a copy. So after this happened a few times, I, I mean, I just sort of surrendered, and I think I bought Dick's Picks two because that had just been released in '71, and I heard that Dark Star, and they've been an obsession of mine ever since, from 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine that Dark Star has converted more than a couple people over the years. Oh man, it kicks off that disc too. What, yeah. what a killer jam that, yeah. And that was the beginning of the Keith era too. Just 
that's my favorite era. I'm I'm a okay. huge Keith fan. I mean, I celebrate the entire catalog. I, I mean, I have a preference for the for the long middle. I would say, which would be like seventy two to eighty five. I mean, right. I know that's a big span of time, but I go through phases. Like right now, uh, let's see. There's there's that Charlie Miller tape of uh, Saratoga eighty five. Do you know uh, that one? Yeah, that's been a weekly go to. I think that's a really great show and. I've also been reevaluating 78, which uh, for years I sort of overlooked because I just thought of it as sort of a rebuilding year after 77. And there was Egypt, which was kind of underwhelming. And Keith, I, I always assumed that like this is the year Keith really started to fall asleep. But, uh, but the July 78 box is really, I think, pretty underrated. You know, It is. Uh, I, and I did an episode, one of the f- first episodes uh, that we did, for this this podcast was actually uh, on april 78 or just really just like a week out of april 78 sure but uh yeah. that that tour has some really high really high moments and one of my favorite scarlet fires even so uh red rocks was it no, red rocks it's actually the uh huntington 416 78 huntington west virginia oh uh, i don't know if i know that show but yeah that, it just seemed like 78 was a lot a lot like gnarlier and, and more experimental because i mean i think 77 was like relatively tight and i always use that word kind of with quote fingers with the dead but right you know i think of 77 as less jammy and just more streamlined and uh slinky and 78 was like they kind of remembered how to take chances you know what i mean like they remembered all right we can like kind of be fearless you know get loose uh 77 is just so much more slick exactly And, and successfully so but uh, 78, they get loose, they take chances, they fall apart at times. Yeah, and I live for that. Yeah. And obviously lately the box set's been getting a lot of play in the house, the new Pacific Northwest box oh, yeah. set. Yeah, well, we, uh, I'm very proud that uh, with uh, Jeff Conklin on uh, a while ago, we kind of uh, anticipated that box set covering oh, some yeah. material. <laughs> yeah, Jeff's a friend, and he goes deep. He's a, he's a person I... Uh, I definitely have a lot of admiration for He's a good yeah. dude. Uh, I actually just met him in person just uh, last last weekend, uh, but we had it. We had a great time when he was on, and uh, I, I I think he'll be on again because guy knows he knows his stuff. Yeah, he definitely does. If we look back to 111 Heavy, and I were to pick a song for the show, what what would you recommend? What would you think I should play for people? Uh, I was I was definitely a um, definitely one of the people who voted to have Old Hope Chest kick off the record because I feel like it it's a nice sort of um, introduction to the band and I, I really it's definitely one of my favorite tunes on the record. Yeah, it's a good one and, and I think that's pretty good. I will say I'm a big Species Blues fan, but I'm not sure that <laughs> we should go to the deep cut right here. We just tell people that it gets deep, you know, because I, I love the way hey. that, that gets out there. Yeah, I, I hope we can do a little more stretching out like that on stage. I mean, that's definitely the plan, but it seems, you know, oxymoronic to plan to stretch out. You know, it just has to be one of those things. But we're definitely planning to kind of enter the stratosphere on some of those other tunes, too. So, Excellent. Well, that was that was actually one of the things I wanted to ask about is whether you feel this record is more of a uh, kind of a culmination of this collab or is it is it just the starting off, the leaping off point for when you guys get on the road and you know, continue writing or what have you. It's definitely the latter. I mean, it feels like this is really, um, 
I mean, I, I, I'm really happy with the way the record turned out. I think we all are. It was, it was a really positive experience, but I feel like, you know, the best is yet to come as long as we can sustain this thing, um, you know, financially and uh, geographically. I mean, there's obviously a lot. Of, we're up against a lot these days. But, um, but yeah, I think we also are really good about the record, but I think we're all just really just very eager to, to take the songs apart and I know Nick's been writing like in, in a fever. He's kind of putting me to shame right now. So um, it's really just, uh, it's more just like a, a, a sort of a moment in time, that record. And I don't think too many songs will, uh, will be played exactly the same from night well, to night. That's the kind of thing I like to hear. I know other people are, may feel differently. I think our, our listening audience here, though, is, uh, will be into that. And uh, I'll run down yeah. all the all the uh, tour dates again at the end here after after the cool. interview for everybody. But um, of course, they can find them on my website and they can find them on your website, which I'll run down as, uh, as well. But let's talk more about songwriting. So do you count like Barlow and Hunter among your songwriting influences? And if so, do they write high? I mean, surely you mentioned Neil Young as being an important touch point. Uh, I'm sure yeah. there's quite a few. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Hunter more than Barlow, although uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a, a deep appreciator of both of their work, obviously. I feel like um, Bar- Barlow tends to be more of the, the guy that makes me cringe sometimes. But I also <laughs> know that some, sometimes I cringe anachronistically, you know, I, I forget that there's a there was a time and place where things weren't so so cringy, cringeworthy rather. But uh, Hunter definitely, I think, is one of the greats. Um, his, you know, the way he marries the metaphysical with these sort of like folk tales and just does that. I mean, it's kind of a thing he does over and over again, but it's like, it's kind of like the, the Harry Smith anthology, you know, like all that Lomax stuff, all that old weird America coupled with the sort of more like the, you know, metaphysical sort of very sixties, very progressive approach to writing and very elemental. There's, you know, so much nature, but yet there's also so much gambling, you know, <laughs> it's right. just, it's it's funny because there are so many themes that he returns to, but I really like I like the well he keeps returning to. Maybe you could say. Yeah, it's kind of uh, that Harry Smith old world uh, America coupled with psychedelic modernism. Exactly. Yeah. Shot yeah. through with this unusual energy that would have blown Harry's mind, if you will. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'd say that's that's the part that's sort of influential to me. I feel like. Um, I've always tried to, you know, I don't, I don't want to do anything that would be considered um, regressive. Uh, and obviously this, this is a rock band, you know, um, but we don't want to have run into like a Renaissance fair type situation where <laughs> we're wearing all the, the, you know, the period specific hats and scarves and shit. Like I don't, I don't really want, I mean, I basically I, nowadays at, at 40 years old, like I play rock music because I can't play jazz, you know? So for me, I just want to take the sort of chances I associate with that mm-hmm. sort of music, but in a rock context, which is, you know, obviously why the dead's an obvious model, but so are people like uh, Neil Haggerty and Matt Valentine, who I know you've had on your show, and Sonic yeah. Youth. I mean, those things definitely play in as well. So it's, I really don't want us to be a, and I know Nick and I have talked about this too, we don't want to be a 60s or 70s revival act. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's really going back to the hunter thing. It's it's just about pulling from different places and doing something that's that's very modernist or postmodernist in in a in a tradition within a tradition. 
Right. Well, I think, um, you know, the Grateful Dead, although now people can look at them and say, well, they're very of their time. And in many respects, they were. But in their time, they were, in fact, quite progressive most of the time. Yeah. And they were a as much a culmination of everything that preceded them as as they were a recreation of anything else. So uh, right. you know, properly, properly done. Um, a new rock band ought to be ought to be that, which uh, I think right. you guys do a, a, a reasonable job of that, of bringing together lots of things. There's this is I, I almost think the, some of the press uh, on the record has done you a disservice, although it's so old hat to, to say, well, this sounds like this band and that band mashed together, you know, um, right. on acid. <laughs> Yeah. Right, I think it, it does you a little bit of a disservice, perhaps, uh, or it's a short sell, you know, to to say that you're, you know, these couple of things combined when it's really it. You can there's a lot in the mix there, um, and thanks, you know, man. Yeah. Touch it may it touches on a lot of things. Some of them are more familiar than others, but uh, I think I think it stands up pretty well. Well, we have, we have, we have like, we have no excuse in 2018, you know, I mean, the dead, I mean, think about like Phil coming from more of like Stockhausen place and Jerry, like playing bluegrass, you know, and pig pens blues, like there was no internet, but like, we're all, we're like five middle-aged dudes who've been collecting records for like 30 years. So we, we, you know, I feel like it's our responsibility to pull as much from, you know, free jazz and Zydeco as we do from sixties rock, you know, <laughs> I mean, like yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of like, you can't, you can't not, I mean, if, are you into music or not, you know, but I mean <laughs> like, you know, Nick and I sort of bonded when we met because the rock and roll Mount Rushmore, as far as we're concerned, I think is pretty similar. You know, I think I remember telling him it was like the dead Neil Young, 70 stones and Royal trucks. You know, and as far as like rock and roll, that's my Mount Rushmore. And I think Nick's was almost the same. He might throw Santana in there. I don't know. You'd have to ask him. But um, and we just kind of bonded over that kind of stuff. We just both felt the same way about those bands. So that's definitely, you know, it would be kind of disingenuous to, to not acknowledge that those that's definitely a starting place for, for what we're doing. You know? Yeah, right on. Well, um, one more thing before I before we wrap this up i don't think nick's going to catch up with us so i'll have to catch up with him separately yeah is uh you mentioned the saratoga 85 there any other dead that's particularly clicking with you that we can maybe throw at the audience uh after after Hmm. the conversation i always like yeah let's see um let's see there's the there's the 1984 uh show in the 30 trips box Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. What was it? '84. I think it's. I think it was in um, oct- maybe October of '84. Uh, I've been enjoying that as an '80s show. Um, and what was the Dave's pick? Hold on. I, I have the. I have. Let me just listen to this. Oh, Dave's '23. Um, which is a. Was it '77 or is that? Hold on a second. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, I forget so. what Dave's '23 is. Okay, well, you know, uh, I I try not to play the until until the dead sanction me officially. I try not to play their uh, official releases, but I, I'll I'll look at those and maybe we'll uh, dial up something uh, in close proximity. Find an audience, and, uh, yeah. yeah, something close, yeah. and um, <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll get something on there. Um, I'm gonna uh, thank you for joining me. We'll, we're gonna play everybody old hope chest from the new 111 heavy record. Everything's better. 
And then when we come back, I'm going to try to talk with Nick. Uh, James, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, we're going to have to talk oh, again. Oh, thank you, Jonathan, for sure. I hope to meet you at the Richmond show. Oh, killer. Yeah, that sounds great. And thanks for having me, and we appreciate the support. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm psyched about the record. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk again soon. Later, man.
Jonathan. Nick. How, How are you doing, doing today? I'm good. Sorry I'm late. Uh, that's all right. That's all right. So um, I am already recording. So okay, great. Let me just launch in by saying thank you so much for joining me and coming on the show. Um, I'm really digging the record, and uh, I'm glad you uh, had some time to talk. Yeah, thank you for having me. and I'm, uh, I'm really happy to know yeah, I think uh, it's gotten a pretty nice reception and well-deserved. Um, one of the things I uh, want, you know, I just talked to James, but one of the questions, the kind of early questions that I didn't ask him and I, I'm going to ask you is, could you tell me about the other guys in the band? So we haven't really talked about, um, you know, the, the, well, in the 70s, they would have called this a supergroup just because everybody's been in some other band. But I, I think that the term may be right. too heavily thrown about. But uh, these you got some real players. Yeah, I think it's kind of an uncomfortable term for anybody who is <laughs> cast upon. Um, but, you know, James and I had known each other a while. So then uh, we just kind of talked about who we wanted to play with. Um, the first name that came up was Dan Brown. Uh, we were both huge trucks fans with James and I, which is why uh, one of the reasons we bonded in the first place. Um, and Dan Brown's name was one that came up immediately. He's one of our favorite bass players. Um, I think James maybe knew him a little bit. Uh, and I guess we kind of struck up one of those uh, Facebook friendships that happen so often. And... Uh, we began to talk about the idea of him playing with us and eventually, yeah, it came together. Um, we were, so it was the kind of three of us for a while. We didn't kind of know exactly what was going to happen. Um, and then we talked about a number of different drummers. We spoke, we spoke to John Maloney from Sunburn Hand of the Man who, um, immediately recommended. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. But he was, uh, he was busy with Dinosaur at the time, and he recommended Ryan Jewell to us. Uh, I already knew Ryan. I'd met Ryan very uh, a long time before, maybe 10 years before, um, and we've met a couple of times since. Uh, James and I both loved his drumming. So the four of us got together in December 2016 to make uh, a cover of Bert Yanch's, uh open up the water gate like the sun shining yeah that was the tune. cool so we got together in december 2016 to do that uh and just the four of us and then when we came you know it kind of went so well we kind of it was it, it was a lot of fun we we kind of gelled well together straight away and we said you know we should get back together and make a, a proper record so uh at that point that's when people started to talk about hans too um I already knew Hans because I put out a record by his wife, Melody, who goes by Connie Aker. 
I, I released a, an LP by her a couple of years before. So I already knew Hans via Melody. And I guess James knew him from New York. So there was connections there. Uh, and then, so at that point, Hans came into the band uh, and he was, he ended up playing on the record with us. Cool. Yeah. So Ryan, uh, I guess most recently has also been with the Solar Motel band with uh, Chris Forsyth. Yeah. They're terrific. Yeah. That's a great group. And Hans, I mean, he's been, he's been with, he's played with a lot of folks. Um, he has, yeah. As he's well as put out his Rose. own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he, I mean, he's got, he's got three amazing solo records. He played with Hans Chewy, he played with Steve Gunn. Uh, I think he played on one, his called a messenger record. Ryan had played with uh, psychedelic horse shit. He played. Uh, he's playing regularly with Riley Walker. He has a bunch of kind of uh, improvised kind of situations going on. Ryan Jewel kind of uh, free jazz uh, nice. combo that he has. Yeah, super busy people. And then you've been active with a project called Desmadrados Soldados de Ventura. That's it. Yeah, that's been around since 2012. Uh, which is kind of a floating uh, number of various musicians from the UK. Uh, there's kind of a core three or four of us that have been around for a long time and in that situation. Um, but yeah, it, many people have come and gone through that whole thing too. <laughs> well, that's so, a... Yeah. Um... It's a mouthful of a name. I'm gonna. I'm just not gonna lie. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I came late to that. Uh, and yeah. Although it turns out I've been I bought records from you in the past uh, from your label, yeah. uh, Golden Lab. But I came late to uh, Desmadrados DSDV. Is that? Can I just say that? You can say DSDV. <laughs> Most people do. Um, and I got hip to the uh, the Grand Celestial Purge, and yeah, that that, that came out last year. And that just was, that blew yeah, my mind. Was, yeah. That's pretty heavy psychedelic guitar work. I mean, I just what I a terrific you. piece of work. So, um, I I wanted to make sure we got that out there because folks should, if they feel like digging on what we're what we're playing here today. I mean, it doesn't sound like one eleven heavy, but it's you know if you like, and if you're listening to this, you probably like psychedelic guitar stuff. So, I think people should uh, put an ear on this. Yeah, it's kind of a, a deep one. It's kind of six sidelong, sidelong jams. Uh, we went, we got together for a weekend with a guy called Richard Formby, producer called Richard Formby, who used to work with the Spaceman Three guys, and cool. he played some keyboards on it. And yeah, that was a cool thing. But yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I was just thinking about, still thinking about that. I, I, I put it on. Yeah. Here at my desk at work, and it was just kind of it really spun me out for the day. It was quite nice. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. That, I mean, that band was, that, that kind of started out with a whole different thing. And, you know, I kind of wanted to push that in a more melodic direction, I guess. Uh, so the, so the box set, the grand celestial purge is kind of a much more, um, I guess a melodic piece than anything that came before. Um, it was kind of a much noisier band in the first instance. Um, and I wanted to mellow things out. And I guess that was a natural, trajectory toward 111 heavy you know i wanted to kind of push things more in a into a structured zone uh and you know james has been talking about doing this band for a long time um so 
kind of at that point where I really wanted to kind of push some structure and still be able to stretch out in certain zones, that's when I kind of turned to James and said, let's do this, you know. It was that, that was it, it was something I was never going to be able to achieve with DSDV. So it was nice to be able to turn to James and get this thing going. Well, it, it really has gone. I mean, the record is uh, terrific, and you guys cover a nice kind of range uh, across the Roots Rock or Americana or whatever that is. And um, from, you know, he and James and I talked a bit about the Ballad Geneva, but, uh, you know, from yeah. something like that, which is very concrete and melodic and, and lovely to uh, Species Blues, which, yeah. which stretches on the record. Um Right. In a way that, you know, on a lot of a lot of rock bands, they just they can't find it in themselves to do that on a record and then pull it back together, and keep the record tight um, without being, you know, what is commonly called a jam band, which is which ha they tend to have trouble with the structure part of things. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I guess we wanted that was a conscious decision. I mean, the thing was, because you know, we're we're all based in different cities, and you know, I'm over here in the UK. It means that we don't really get time to practice. So, when we decided to make this record, we had a limited amount of time to do it. We had five days to record the record, so it was, you know, let's let's get these songs together exactly as they're gonna be. You know, like let's find a structure and let's play that structure, and then we can kind of. We've got this given period within the middle of it to open up and stretch out. We kind of we worked out some, uh, you know, some kind of gestures at which point we would know that we were going to kind of lock back into the song part, and we worked exact we worked out exactly how we would do that. So you know, there's freedom within it, but it's a, it was very kind of uh, there's still kind of a rigid format because we wanted to really make sure that we you know, didn't screw this thing up because we only had five days to record it. Yeah, well, that was actually one of the things I was wondering. Uh, I wasn't sure. Uh, it doesn't sound like you were passing tapes across the ocean to make the record, but um wasn't sure if you had uh, crammed it in over a variety of sessions or all at once. So that's that's <laughs> good to know. And it does it it does sound. I don't want to use the word immediacy, but it does sound fresh in a positive way. Yeah. I mean, I, I I don't think there's uh, yeah. I mean, I I would hope so. I think it's it's something that's just within us, you know. I think it's kind of mu it's the music that we like that we like to listen to and the music we like to play. And I think it's as simple as that. And I I, I would hope that there are new ideas in there, and it feels like a it feels like a fresh record for sure. In terms of in terms of the amount of time it took to record, I mean, and like you know, I I would hope that it sounds like we. You know, it sounds like a band that's been playing together a little uh, a while. You know, because we did share demos. We I kind of sent demos to James. He sent them to me. Uh, we kind of decided between the two of us um, which ones we were going to work with, and then we sent them to everyone else. And so the people had, you know, each person in the band had the time to live with it, learn it, decide what they were going to bring to it, um, and then we had two days rehearsal before we began the recording process to kind of iron out those details and figure out what we liked that each of us were bringing to it. And, you know, it was rushed, but it, um, 
I think it I think it worked out pretty well. Yeah, it doesn't sound rushed. It sounds like uh, you know, I I say fresh, but it you know it's definitely it, it hangs together really well. So uh, yeah, it's good. Great. So I asked this of James. So I think this is appropriate to ask you here as well. Is um, where did you? Where do you come from musically? I mean, clearly you come from the UK physically, but uh, musically speaking, uh, where 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 did you where did you get hip to music, and how did it lead you to making your own? I had a um, an uncle and a cousin who uh, who kind of hit me to everything, and I mean like everything really. I remember my uncle was an illustrator, and he had this drawing board at the back of his bedroom that had the Yes logo that he'd drawn on there. So, you know, it was one of my first musical memories was the Yes logo from being about maybe four years old. And he kind of hit me to more kind of a broader, like, rock and roll spectrum. Um, meanwhile, my cousin, who was, you know, five, four or five years older than me, he kind of turned me on to the punks you know, when I was maybe <laughs> six or seven years old or something. So, I mean, I was, I was like super young, but I guess the time I really started to take music seriously, I was a, like, I mean, super seriously as a teenager. I mean, I was already collecting records from being, you know, a preteen. I was kind of maybe eight, nine years old when I started to collect records. But then I guess uh, when I got super serious about the kind of things that I was really into, uh, I guess I was maybe 13, 14. I guess Black Flag came into my life a little bit and at that point, and then Sonic Youth. Uh, I think big discoveries were, the biggest discoveries were Royal Trucks when I was maybe 16, 17 years old. And then uh, I guess the psychedelic scene kind of crept in by my cousin again. Um, we were listening to Jefferson Airplane Records, Dead Records, and uh, that kind of thing. My brother too. My brother was super, super into, um, super into the Dead. We were listening to a lot of Dylan records, and uh, so it kind of all melded, you know. <laughs> and then I guess I started playing in bands in the early '90s, and yeah, it just continued from then, really. Yeah. So, um, talk to me more about this uh, this this band, the Grateful Dead, um, that your, <laughs> your your family was poisoning you with. Um, <laughs> where did uh, where where has that led you as a as a fan? Like, what where what is your Grateful Dead? I think it's really different for someone in the UK to engage with the Grateful Dead. Um, it's not. I mean. We went to see some Dead & Company shows uh, last year, which was the first time I've ever seen anything Dead-related. You know, and wow. I'm I'm 42 years old now. You know, and it's, that's my first Dead-related live experience. And, you know, that's just because the last time the Dead played in the UK, I was 13 years old. I already They were already on my radar, but, you know, it wasn't something I was going to, I was going to see. Um, yeah, we I, I touched on that in the the last episode I released uh, was that yeah. was the 1990 fall tour. Yeah, that's it. I remember it happening. I mean, I, I, like uh, um, like Jerry was on the 
cover of Q magazine. I remember being in uh, being in the back seat of my parents' car, driving back from Bude in Cornwall, this kind of beach town where we'd been for a week, and I was reading Q magazine. It was the only it was the only rock magazine I could find in Bude, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember reading reading some interview with Jerry around that time uh, about the European tour and kind of thinking, who's this guy? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, that was kind of my earliest introduction. Uh, and then the first time I really connected, I guess, was through the records. Uh, my brother was playing Working Man's Dead a lot. Um, and then later on, other musician friends kind of playing me, playing me bits and pieces. And then kind of, I mean, the tape trading scene kind of never hit me. And, you know, that's just something that's kind of really alien to a lot of people in the UK, I think. Wow. But, you know, kind of, yeah, I mean, we kind of, all we, all we really, did, you know, we, the internet is, uh, has been very kind to us in that respect. You know, we've been able to dig a lot deeper. And sure, I've been past a lot of live material since. And I don't know. James is a huge uh, CD freak, and he will happily, uh, you know, trade CDRs with people. I don't even own a CD player, so I'm strictly a records guy. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've bought a lot of kind of reissued live material, and I've uh, I've downloaded occasional things, and you know, uh, people send me stuff, and it's yeah. It's a wonderful time as a record collector. I've been a record collector for 30 years. And one of the things I always, you know, wanted for was more live Grateful Dead. You know, there's bootlegs out there on vinyl, but, you know, they're spotty. And you couldn't always, until the internet, when it was easier, it's easy to, you could almost find any record now if you want to pay for it. Um, you know, they, they didn't always cross paths. So I always swore to myself, man, if they just start dicks fix started happening on cd and they start putting this stuff on vinyl man i'll be buying it every every single time and now they're holding me to my bet and they're yeah. costing me so much money because they're constantly <laughs> putting out grateful dead on vinyl which is wonderful but expensive and challenging and just uh yeah i i i do have a cd player i don't buy a lot of cds though um Lots, there's a, there's a great local record store. There's a, there's a local record store in Manchester that, well, it was my local record store. It was right down the street from where I live. Um, and the one of the first kind of, I found a boot like that. It was a Venezuelan boot like called Good Loving. Um, oh, cool. It's like, uh, it's from, I guess it's 76, I guess it's 76, 77. Uh, it's, uh, and it, I, it was the first thing that kind of really, really like, blew my mind like live dead it has the, this amazing mississippi half step on it the, the the vocal's super low in the beginning and it kind of kicks right in but the, the piano like the piano is super loud but it it just it just wails it just goes off and that was kind of the thing that really uh yeah that really gripped me the first time that was and maybe that was like 15 years ago awesome and uh, i found it it was in the so in, in, nobody in England 15 years ago cared one iota about the Grateful Dead. <laughs> so I found, this, I found this box set for like five pounds in King B Records, which is my local store. 
And uh, now you go in there and you see anything dead related, like, you know, at bootlegs particularly, kind of like uh, uh, the almost acoustic record, you know, I saw that in there recently, it was like 50 pounds. <laughs> yeah, I've been, you know, that wasn't released in the States, so I, uh, for years, I've, I have the, there's a 2LP and a single LP edition of that, and they were released right. in, in Europe, and I've, I had the single LP, and I've eyed the double LP for years. Three, they're reissuing it for uh, this this fall, so in in November that'll oh, be nice. out on vinyl. So, but yeah, that's one I've been coveting. It's a great record. Yeah, but, um, I, I think um, but... I think we'll get some uh, feedback from. Uh, I do have UK listeners, so I'm kind of excited to see them reach out and say something about. No, wait, we're here. We're over here. So <laughs> yeah, tell them to tell them to look me up. You know, yeah, I will. It, it, I'm, it's kind of a lonely world for people uh, for Grateful yeah. Dead fans in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, for sure. Um, before I let you go, I want to ask: Is there anything? I'm actually I'm going to look up that uh, that bootleg, that Venezuelan good loving bootleg. But is there anything uh, in particular you think we should play for the uh, the good people out there? From the from the. By the Grateful Dead, off from the yeah, 111 yeah. Heavy. Well, oh, we're gonna man. play. Um, we we just played uh, a tune for everybody from the 111 Heavy record. Right before you came on, we okay. played Old Hope Chest, and um, and and hopefully that's enough that'll get them to go and buy the buy the thing and listen to the rest of it because it's rad. But yeah, well, Grateful Dead that. recommendations would be. Yeah, great. I mean, oh man, there's uh, yeah, any China Cat Sunflower from kind of early 80s you know james was james was playing me some early 80s china cat sunflower stuff like i know you're right it was like real real uh yeah you know cool. all right anything anything long and scoping and anything with a sweet jerry vocal for me <laughs> that's a good way to be all right well man right, um well. thank you so much uh, as i as i said to uh james i i hope to see you guys at the the richmond show and, oh um, yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, it'd be great to see you there. I'll run down all these tour dates for everybody here in just a moment, uh, and give them all the websites and all the band camps and all those things, so you don't have to hear about that or belabor it yourself. Uh, but thank you <laughs> so much for coming on and talking oh, thank to me. you. Thanks very much for having us. Yeah, it has been a lot of fun. All right, hope to see you soon. Yeah, man. All right, take it easy. You too. Bye bye. So that was pretty cool. Those guys are great. And you heard that song, Old Hope Chest, from 111 Heavy. And now we're going to get into some Grateful Dead. As you heard, we asked those guys kind of what their what their vibe is, what their, what their likes and dislikes or whatever. Why well, we didn't really ask dislikes, did we? It's not important. What we don't like is just we don't want to put that negative vibe in the air. It's more important. And there's plenty of time to talk about what we do like. That's a lot more fun anyways. So we talked a little bit about what they like, and we got a nice uh, early 80s thing out of the guys and a little bit of 70s. So some of the things they suggested have been officially released. Or James mentioned the Saratoga show from 85, which uh, we covered, actually, over the summer. Um, Just a little bit of it, but what I've selected are a handful of really excellent shows. So first up, we have from 3981, that's Madison Square Garden, or nice spring tour date we have a china rider because nick wanted an early 80s china rider so there you go nick this one's pretty rocking i think you guys will like it 
and then we jump ahead in time to 1985, as James suggested, but we went one day further to June 28th, which some of you may know is the Hershey Park Stadium Show. It's a pretty rockin' show. Really great. I have a number of friends who were there, and uh, in fact, I think one of them was just talking to me about it over the weekend. But anyways, we have, from the first set, Birdsong, Into Comes the Time, Into Deal which is ripping, guys. You're going to love it. It's pretty cool, like, triple Jerry shot right there. And then the last thing that we have for you is two songs from 92977. Uh, Nick, of course, cited the English Town show from 93. Um, I think that's what it was, English Town. Anyways, 9377, which exists as a Dick's Picks. So we didn't go there. We stayed in the same month, and I found a rockin' pairing of Let It Grow into Franklin's Tower to close the first set of this 92977 show at the Paramount Theater in Seattle, Washington. Anyways, uh, I'm just about ready to shut up and play you some music. First, I will remind you that you can go to brokedownpodcast.blogspot.com and find my uh, internet webpage, and you'll see notes on the show, and you'll see all the tour dates for 111 Heavy. Uh, they are playing a bunch of shows. I hope they're coming to somewhere near you. And then you can... Um, you can get links to their band camp and all that stuff. And of course, you'll see some details on what we're playing here. Okay, let's just be clear that the band is 111 Heavy. The album is called Everything's Better. You can get it at 111heavy.bandcamp.com. There's physical copies on their label, Kith and Kin. You'll see a link to that on the website. It's a little longer. And uh, let me tell you, they are on the road, or they're about to be. So check out these tour dates and if there's anything near you you should you should go on november 5th they'll be at the low beat in albany new york on november 6th state house in new haven connecticut november 7th deep thoughts jamaica plain massachusetts november 8th the root cellar greenfield mass november 9th kava bar in ithaca new york november 10th happy dog in cleveland ohio november 12th kaiju in louisville kentucky November 13th at Betty's in Nashville, Tennessee. November 14th, Duke Coffee House in Durham, North Carolina. November 15th at Sound of Music in Richmond, Virginia. I'll be at that one. And November 16th, Jerry's on Front in Philadelphia, PA. If any of those sound remotely close to you, I, uh, I suggest you check it out. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope I've managed to pull this together despite being sick as hell. So, uh, with all that said, enjoy.
show it there. And you can too. Osiris.